can't judge a person and it turns out you didn't have the whole story? Ever learn there was a lot more to that story than you first realized? I'm Kimberly. And I'm Rebecca. Join us as we separate the little lies from the big reputations. Welcome back. Hi, welcome back. <laughs> One of these times you're going to say welcome back first and everybody's going to be like, wait, what's happening? <laughs> There's going to be a lot of silence before as we stare at each other and go, wait, what do we say? Because I never know what to say until you say welcome back. And I'm like, okay, that's what we say. <laughs> That'll be episode 200. Episode I'll get it 200. out. I'll, I'll get it together. This is episode out. 19? I don't know. Yeah. Ooh, should we do something for our 20th episode? I mean... Sure. Let's do something for the 20th episode. I don't, I don't know what to do. Well, well, we're not recording it on my birthday anymore. We were going to, but... Oh, yeah. That's all right. That was your phone. Yeah, it's right behind the computer. Sorry. <laughs> it's funny because it wasn't making that weird noise that it usually makes. The feedback noise? I'm just actually going to... Yeah. Her phone oh, is always... it's, a, it's a notification from Big Reputations Podcast on Twitter. Look at that. Oh, see, see, push notifications for Twitter. See, I don't, I don't know how to use Twitter, so I don't know how to take that off, but I would never take off push notifications for big reputations. <laughs> That's fine. And you shouldn't either. Go to your local Twitter and follow us. <laughs> I love that because I literally have push notifications for nothing. Like, I hate push notifications so much. Like, stop telling me things. Let me decide when I want to know things. True. I have it, like, I guess they're automatically set and I have to go through and then be like, hey, I don't want this. Like, I just found out how to take, like, Kardashian notifications off my phone. Like, it kept showing them to me and I was like, why? I think it's because our names are similar. I'm not even kidding. Like, I think it, it might, because I there's no other reason why I would need to know about, like, Kim Kardashian as much as my phone thinks I do. <laughs> Unless they're like, demographics, you love Kim Kardashian. And it's like, guess what? I don't. Also, no. Yeah. She's not getting an episode. Me? Oh, Kim? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> you? You? Why I we? thought you meant I was going to get an episode of, like, Keeping Up with the Kardashians. <gasps> like, but I no, Kim is also not getting an episode. If, if, it's going to be an opposite day episode where I talk about, like, how much damage her and her family have done. But we could do for our 100th episode, our big reputation. <laughs> like, you and I? Yeah. <laughs> what would that even look like? I don't know. But we'll figure something out. Oh, I don't like it. it. Sounds like a bad idea. <laughs> right, fine. Whatever. We're only but, on episode 19, so we got a ways to go anyway. Yeah. So I sound like I hate everything. And I listened to Jane Fonda. And I was like, oh, yeah, I sound like I hate everything. But I don't. <laughs> Every state except New York. <laughs> <laughs> but, but I especially don't. Especially California, Texas, and Maryland. No. So I love <laughs> California. And I didn't hate LA. Like, they were very cool parts of LA. I didn't like my Airbnb, that's for damn sure. But we hiked up to the Hollywood sign and yeah. that was amazing. Like we did really cool things. I went to go see the Buffy house and the high school and I met like really cool teachers at the high school who like told me like Buffy stuff and someone gave me a a Buffy uh, bookmark, which was very nice. Ooh, I'll share that. Okay. It was really sweet. She like ran into her office and she's like, wait, 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 I have something for you. And I was like, what could you possibly have for me? And I'm like, oh my God, a Buffy bookmark from 1998. Thank yes, you. Please. Yes, please. <laughs> Thank you. Um, and LA was beautiful. And like okay. we had good food there. So 
I didn't hate LA. I don't hate everybody. I think you're from just Texas. like better recovered from your vacation now. Like you, you weren't feeling well. We recorded our last episode anyway, so that might have oh, taken no. things. I was something stomach related, and I, I don't know if I could like eat places anymore. I don't know. I can't eat anywhere. This I just. I don't know. I'm like also like gun shy. Like every time I go, not every time, but like every third time I go eat somewhere, like my stomach is like, oh no, you need to stay home and eat broth. Don't touch anything. <laughs> well, and I'm sick for like we, a while. Hopefully what we made you for dinner tonight is uh, doesn't have the same effect on you. So. Yeah, I get because there's no Yelp for your apartment. So <laughs> I don't know how to let people know not to eat here. <laughs> hey, now, you've been insulting the chef of this house and it's not me. So <laughs> Wait, I thought you made it. No, it was my idea and I wanted oh. to make it. But um, I had to deal with like giving back the key. I was cat sitting this past week. And... Wow. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I definitely did that last episode. That's yeah, fine. <laughs> let's keep it up. Every episode, there's going to be a secret meowing. <laughs> well, uh, I had to give the key back to mm. uh, the guy and his son who came home. Um, his husband, unfortunately, is stuck in Spain because he tested positive for COVID and is now has to be there for 10 additional days. Yikes. So. Like, like part of me is like extended vacation, but like probably not. No, he's probably just sitting in some in hotel, hotel room, room, like sad, missing his family, paying Aww. for ten days of like nothingness. See, that's we were talking about that earlier. Like I don't I know, like if if I if we got stuck in Mexico because that was our thing. We're like, well, what do we do? Because like the resort we were staying at, we could not have afforded to stay there for ten extra days. Absolutely not. Um, so we would have been like in a bus station somewhere, like someone help us. Yeah, right. Uh, um, well, I'm glad you don't hate LA. I don't, but you know what I love? What do you love? Turning red. All right. Did you see Turning Red? We did. We finally watched it the other night. I watched it with my mom, which was a weird experience. Oh. Because I would look over and be like, "This is you." <laughs> <laughs> and she's just like, the panda's so cute. And I'm like, uh, this is our relationship. It wasn't quite as profound as I thought it was going to be, but maybe it's just because it was too close to like my time period. Like the nostalgia element, like, because okay. it took place in the late 90s, Two, early 2000s. Yeah, like, like 2002 03. or something like that. Yeah. I think it hit with me because like, only child like all the other movies that have like come mm. out like don't really have that you know it's like multiple families which is why me and Encanto are like this yeah so like <laughs> I get it because I feel like me and my mom have a similar relationship but I don't know actually I don't know the relationship she had with my grandma I should ask her yeah I'm gonna reach out and be like hey was she a hundred foot panda <laughs> in ego maybe no my grandma was super sweet not your grandma your mom because it was the mom who was the, the like mega panda yes for being so repressed i don't mm, i don't know my mom is my mom's a character yeah yeah it was funny though because when they did the omg thing i was mm -hmm. like is that anachronistic like i don't feel like people said omg that much back then but apparently we did like i yeah. looked it up and it was definitely a thing yeah no i think it was a thing and at first i thought it was in the 90s because of the tamagotchi bit but then they all had cell phones and i was like okay this can't be 99 because we mm -hmm. didn't all have cell phones in 99 not 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 as kids especially no no i didn't get my cell phone until uh september 11th like, oh, okay. That was the whole reason I got a cell phone. Well, honestly, that's about the same time I got my first cell phone, but it, I got mine because I was living in Spain. So mm. I would actually like to see the numbers on like how increased cell phone usage was after that. 
Yeah. Because like I know a lot of people who got one for same, similar reasons. Mm-hmm. My mom was like, I need to contact you. So we both are getting cell phones now. When I was growing up, my stepdad had a calling card and we all memorized the number and the pin ah. to the calling card. So because when I was in high school, there were still pay phones in the mm-hmm. school, but like we didn't carry change around yeah. with us to make a call. So we would collect call off the pay phone. And I, this is one time my dad, my stepdad answered and he was like, Saul's Pizza, can I help you? <laughs> he was like, and I was like, oh, sorry, wrong number. And I hung up and I called back. Oh. And he did the same thing again, like three Why times. Why would you do that? <laughs> I was like, this is so mean. I was like, will you just come pick me up? <laughs> if I order a pizza, will you pick me up? <laughs> but I did I did appreciate some of the, the 90s nostalgia, mm-hmm. 2000s bit. The, the boy bands. I was oh, just yeah. like... Who was this obsessed? And then I was like, oh, me. Okay. You me. know what I'm going to do, though? I'm going to throw... <laughs> so we're watching the movie, and they introduced the boys in the in the boy band. Uh-huh. And it, what was it called? Four Town or something? Yeah. Sean's like, why do they call it Four Town if there's five of them? And then, like, ten minutes later, the mom's like, why do they call it Four Town if there's five of them? I'm like, you're the mom. <laughs> like, we're definitely that generation. <laughs> mm-hmm. I know, but I, I really liked it. I thought it was fun. Yeah. No, I mean, it was definitely good. It was nice to see, like, an Asian-centric animated yeah. film. You know, she had uh, a friend who was Korean-Canadian mm-hmm. and a friend who was, like, Indian or Pakistani-Canadian. Yeah, I'm not sure. They didn't mm-hmm. specify where she they was They didn't from. know. Um, but did you hear the review? Oh, I have to find it. I'll put it on the Instagram, but there was a review from some dude who does reviews, Ugh. and he was saying <laughs> you that- lost me at some dude. <laughs> <laughs> um, he couldn't relate. He didn't think the movie was realistic because, like, he couldn't relate to the story. He was saying that it was like a super like niche story for just like Asians. For- I'm sorry. What? Like, as yeah. a teenage girl, I could totally exactly have that. So there's. I'm gonna find it. I'm gonna post all of this on the Instagram. But like, all these people reacted to it, and were like. I agree with him because I saw Pixar's um, cars and I couldn't relate because I am not a car. I am a human being. (laughs) And they just like went off and it was so funny. And I think this guy maybe doesn't have a job anymore. I'm not sure. But it was just like he went in and just like wrote this whole review about how unrelatable this like movie was. Guess what? Not everything has to be about you. That's it too. Even if you can't relate to it, maybe it's not for you. Mm -hmm. And that's okay. Be for you. Exactly. You can just I watch know, something. I know you're used to that, white man. I'm assuming he's a white man. I don't know. Ding, 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 ding. <laughs> or you, maybe you're used to that white man that like every story's about you. But guess what? It doesn't have to be. Mm-hmm. And I'm here for those that are not. Ugh. Ugh, white dudes. But <laughs> so, so you dudes. say you could relate to Turning Red because mm-hmm. it was an only child story. Yeah. And I am very partial to Encanto mm-hmm. because it's a many children's story (laughs) well that works out perfectly because who are we discussing today well today we're discussing alma abuela madrigal she is the matriarch of the madrigal family and we could say the antagonist of the 2021 disney film encanto after a brief background on the film, its creator, the history behind it, and the character herself, we will explore the different character relationships with Abuela. We'll then consider audience perspectives on the character, including some who consider her a villain, or at the very least, do not believe that she can be easily redeemed. 
Finally, we will address some of the reasons we think she is the way that she is, including issues related to generational trauma, fear of losing the miracle, and even concerns over aging, death, and the future of her family. I guess if we're going to throw out any trigger warnings for this episode, it would be generational trauma. Um, I'm not sure how more specific we can get about that. Is it... It's... I think that's pretty generational good. Generational trauma falls under, like, a category of potential abuse. Yeah. So, you know, be sensitive to that. But if you've seen the film, we're not going to go into anything more in depth than the film does. If you haven't seen the film, stop this. Go watch it on Disney+. Plus. Okay, come back. Are you crying? Now let's, <laughs> let's talk about it. Oh, my gosh. What song doesn't make me cry? I don't know. They, I mean, I think the Familia Madrigal song doesn't make me cry, but like everything mm -hmm. else does. The Dos Orquitas, the Surface Pressure song, you know, what else can I do? I, I didn't, All of them. I didn't cry, but I got very close. Hmm. Yeah. I'm a crier. I am definitely a crier. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> and I will continue to be. Thank you very much. Anyway, let's get into it. So a little bit about the film. Encanto is a Disney digitally animated film released in 2021. That feels so weird to say. Yeah. 2021. Yeah. It's, I mean, that's all the way to last year. Yeah. No, but like, I feel like I want to say 2001. Like the 20 <laughs> is throwing me. Anyway, <laughs> it's old. modern times. I'm not here yet. Um, apparently it was the 60th film produced by their animation studios. The main character, Mirabel Madrigal, was voiced by Stephanie Beatriz, most well known for her role as Rosa Diaz on Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Um, but let's share a few of the other voice actors as well. So you've got John Linguizamo, who was Bruno. Loved him as Bruno. Mm -hmm. And like, at the minute he spoke, I was like, I know who that is. <laughs> Jessica Darrow as Luisa. Diane Guerrero as Isabella. Angie Cepeda as Julieta. Wilmer Valderrama as Agustin. Mauro Castillo as Tio Felix. Carolina Gaitan as Tia Peppa. And of course, Maria Cecilia Butaro as Alma Marigal. So what you may have noticed is that all the voice actors in this film had a Latin American background, uh, with the exception of Alan Tudyk, but he voiced the toucan, so, like, we'll allow it. He just, he was hey, hey. Yeah, it was funny because, like, I didn't know. And then when I learned, I was like, oh, yeah, I hear it. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, he doesn't, he literally does not speak. He just yeah. makes toucan noises. But, like, you can hear it, though, if it's you've, like, him. heard Alan Gina do, like, anything else. You can, like, hear it. So, Encanto is the story of a multi-generational Colombian family known as the Madrigals. The Familia Madrigal is a matriarchal family led by Abuela Alma Madrigal. She has three children, Julieta, Peppa, and Bruno. Six grandchildren, Isabel, Luisa, Maribel, Dolores, Camilo, and Antonio. So each of these children and grandchildren, with the exception of the protagonist, Mirabel, receive magical gifts from a family miracle. These gifts allow them to help serve the members of the community. So, like, who do you think had the coolest gift? Like, which one would you want? Um, I mean, given my back problems, I think I would like Luisa's super strength. Okay. I feel like that would be really helpful. Or my favorite was Julieta. So I could just make you cookies and, like, your back would feel better. You know what? Okay, you do that and then I'll be super strong. And you can lift donkeys for me because that's <laughs> what I need done. So we got all those Brooklyn donkeys. <laughs> 
In the film, Maribel, the one without a magical gift, learns that her family is losing their magic and she makes it her goal to find out what exactly is happening and how she can save the magic and protect her family and the casita, her family's house. The film has received critical acclaim for its characterization, music, animation, voice acting, emotional depth, and accuracy in cultural representation, which for me is key. The score and the song Dos Oruguitas were both nominated for Oscars in 2022, and the film itself won Best Animated Feature Film. What is Oruguitas? I mean, Dos is two. Is it eyes? Um, no. Caterpillars. Oh. 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 That makes sense. Yeah. Okay. And then they turn into mariposas later on the Oh, I re- the I've song. only seen the movie twice. I tried to watch it today, but I couldn't remember my password for... Disney Disney Plus. (laughs) So I watched uh, ER instead. (laughs) Way Um, to prep for the episode. (laughs) I watched it last week, but I was like, this would be great, but I couldn't remember the password. Anyway, I'm not good at passwords. So let's talk a little bit about the creators. So Encanto was co-written by Sharice Castro-Smith and Jared Bush and directed by Jared Bush and Byron Howard with co-direction by Castro-Smith. The songs were written by Lynn manuel Miranda. Well, I'm not sure who that is. No, never, never heard, of, heard him. of him. We'll talk about him in a minute. <laughs> but we do want to give a little extra attention to Sharice Castro-Smith, you know, since we are a podcast that focuses on women yeah. and lifting up those women. She is an American playwright, actress, television writer, producer, and co-director. She was raised in a Cuban-American family in Miami. While Encanto is her first film credit, she's also written and produced on shows such as Devious Mage, which is amazing if you've never seen Devious Maids. Me and my mom used to watch that. The Haunting of Hill House and Sweet Bitter, written and performed in a number of theatrical shows. In addition to the film having a Latina co-writer, co-director, the songs were written by New Yorican Lin-Manuel Miranda, as we mentioned. The soundtrack for the film reached number one on the Billboard 200, and We Don't Talk About Bruno topped the Billboard Hot 100 chart for multiple weeks. Whenever I've been, like, around a radio, this song has been playing. And I was like, no other song is played that way. And I was like, no, that one from Frozen played a ton. You know what song, though, I just heard on the radio or, like, when I was somewhere and it was on was the... um, was that song from Four Town in Turning Red. Really? Yeah. Wow. <laughs> Imagine like you're a parent and you're watching it like every five minutes because you have a kid and then you're like, okay, I'm just going to listen to the radio for some me time and then it comes on. <laughs> Ooh. Sorry, parents. So fun fact and a bit of a tangent, uh, the only other song to top the Billboard 100 charts for multiple weeks was was A Whole New World from Aladdin in 1993. Um, Before that, Whitney Houston's I Will Always Love You had held the spot for 14 weeks. That's pretty impressive to be a Disney song that outs a Whitney Houston song. (laughs) Another fun fact, I almost walked down the aisle to um, A Whole New World, but like to strings. Oh. I was very close. One thing I wanted to do with this episode was talk a little bit about the Colombian culture. Um, And the historical events surrounding this film, right? As we mentioned at the beginning, Encanto takes place in Colombia. And you'll notice throughout that it uses something called magical realism. If you're not familiar with that, definitely look it up. It's really cool. Uh, This is a method that was made popular, although not created by Colombian author Gabriel Garcia Marquez, uh, most famous for his book, 100 Years of Solitude. Have you ever read that? I have not, no. It's a tough one. And like half the characters have the same name. So there's like a family tree at the beginning. So you have to be able to keep track of them. Yeah. I'm good. 
they're all named like Aurelio and I forget what the other one is, but they all have like the same two names. Anyway. Why? Like he wrote it. Just make it so that people can read it. <laughs> like why? Yeah. I don't know. But it it is. That's probably his most famous book using magical mm. realism. Uh, Encanto also tackles the topic of generational trauma in a way that's sensitive and family appropriate, but still hits realistically. The film is presumably set somewhere between 1949 and 1952. According to a tweet by co-writer and co-director Jared Bush, the magical triplets were born on October 17th to coincide with the start of the Thousand Days War in Colombia in 1899. Since they are 50 years old, as referenced by Abuela declaring when she received the miracle, we can assume that the film takes place in the mid-20th century. And we're not going to get into it too deeply here, but we wanted to give you a little bit of information about the Thousand Days War. It was actually 1,130 days long, but, you know, that doesn't have the same ring to it. Mm -mm. Uh, It began on October 17th, 1899, as we mentioned, and it was ended on November 21st, 1902. So it was a civil war initially fought between the Liberal Party and the National Party, and later between the Liberals and the Conservative government. It was a consequence of dissatisfaction after the presidential election of 1898, and the official insurrection against the national government was declared by the Liberal Party. There were an estimated 100 to 150,000 deaths, and that was about 2.5% of the population at the time. Damn. It was the deadliest and most destructive war in the history of Colombia. You know, there were major social, political, and economic consequences for the country, including economic collapse and governmental instability. The war ended just over three years later with the signing of the Treaty of Mirlandia and the Treaty of Wisconsin and resulted in a conservative victory, which lasted another 28 years. So, yeah, we just wanted you to know a little bit about like the kind of the research that they did into creating this film into Mm -hmm. making it. Uh, realistic and historically accurate in terms of that context. Yeah. You know, I think it's one of those things that you don't need to know it to enjoy the film, but if you know it, it kind of yeah. adds an extra layer. Maybe you have like family that might have gone through that and could like understand like having to flee. Exactly. Um, so let's talk about Alma. <laughs> we don't talk about Bruno, but we can talk about Alma. <laughs> uh, Abuela Madrigal. She is the matriarch of the Madrigal family. Fifty years before the main story of this film takes place, she and her husband Pedro were forced to flee their home village. The film doesn't dive into uh, the history aspects of the reason why they flee, but we do see the couple and other villagers being chased from their home by armed men on horses. Alma's husband Pedro sacrifices himself to allow everyone else to escape. Alma is then left alone with her triplets. Then she finds the miracle. The miracles bless the family and create sort of a magical candle that represents the miracle, kind of like a talisman. With this miracle, Alma and her family and the other villages were protected from outside harm. You, and you notice that with the mountains, the way they sort of close mm-hmm. around the, the village. Uh, Alma not only becomes the matriarch of her family, but also of the town and its people as well. During the events of the film, we see Alma as a 75-year-old abuela. She wears a long magenta dress and has gray hair and hazel eyes. We only see the younger version of her in two flashback moments. 
The first is when Mirabel is going to have her ceremony and we learn Alma's story. Or at least the G-rated, kid-friendly version of that story. Right, because Mirabel was only five yeah. when she heard it. Mm. So the second is when she finally reveals the full truth to Mirabel about what actually happened the night she and Pedro escaped. The story is similar to the original, but reveals more, a, more of a realistic consequence of the situation. It is interesting to note that Abuela has no magical gift of her own, but she is the keeper of the magic. She takes care of the magical candle and heads each gift ceremony. She has a real deep connection with the house as well. So side note, right after watching this film, like, I don't know, 75 times or something like that, I've decided that while Mirabelle did not receive a gift, her true gift is that she'll become the next keeper of the candle and the magic. She's basically going to be the next abuela. Ooh, I like that. And while we can... Uh, label Abuela as the antagonist of the story, I don't think she's really a villain, right? At least not in the traditional sense, but we'll dig into that a little bit more in a bit. So let's talk a little bit more a little bit more about the town. So the Encanto or Enchantment. It's an isolated location that protects the Madrigal family and the villagers. It became closed off after the arrival of the miracle and as such has become kind of self-sustaining. This is where the Madrigal family comes into play, right? Under the watchful eye of Abuela and the gifts of her descendants, the town is able to thrive. Peppa makes sure the weather is just right. Julieta heals those around her. Isabella helps the plants and flowers grow. Luisa does the heavy lifting and so on. But this makes the townspeople depend on the Madrigal family. They look up to Alma almost as if she was like a queen. Encanto isn't a princess story, but it kind of is in the way that you have one figurehead and her family living in a large house separate from the other houses. The Madrigals don't live in town with everyone else. Yeah, if you look at the the village, like mm. you see this central road and all the houses yeah. and They're all They're like up at the top. They're the house on the hill, mm -hmm. you know, and... And that definitely, even though it doesn't look like a castle, mm -hmm. definitely gives vibes of them being like the family. Yeah. And also like their house can do things for them. So like it's a magical fucking castle. Absolutely. <laughs> Luckily for the villagers anyway, the family is benevolent. But this might, we could argue, be a disservice to the people of town of the town because they don't seem to engage in like simple tasks like corralling the donkeys for example like <laughs> louisa the donkeys get out like dude corral they're your, your donkeys. donkeys they're your donkeys <laughs> like louisa's the only one that works in this town like right? it feels like that's what kim kardashian was talking about and she saw Encanto and was like nobody wants to fucking work <laughs> get off your ass and corral your donkeys <laughs> what is kim, kim kardashian actually talked about this oh my god where have you been listen i don't follow that shit i Again, this is where the push notifications come in. So someone was asking her about some shit. And it was an interview with her and her sisters. And she was like, I have the best advice. I shouldn't make fun of her voice because I kind of sound like that. Whatever. She <laughs> goes, I have the best advice for women. Get off your fucking ass and work. And these were like, actually what? Like, these are, this is what she said. She was saying that nobody wants to work anymore. And how if you do work, like... You have to be, like, positive and, like, you can't work in a toxic environment. Like, you have to, like, leave. And it's, like, that sounds really nice for you to say because you work with people who are, like, yes people. Do you think anybody's going around telling Kim Kardashian that, like, her skims look stupid on her? No. 
She's, I'm about to. She's surrounded with people who like she. There's no toxic environment because she just would fire them. Right. So yeah, she said that everybody was lazy and didn't want to work. So everybody except Louisa is what we've decided. Yes. That. Okay. This is she, that's where that's where Kim got this knowledge from because it can't be real life because I know way too many hardworking women for for Kim Kardashian's logic to be correct. She was talking about the people who live in in condo because <laughs> no one works besides Louisa. Got it. Okay. So it came right. full circle. Listen, I heard you say that and I was like, wait, Kim Kardashian actually talked about the movie Encanto? But yes. no, we got there. We we got there. Yes. I, I figured it out. <laughs> All right. So while the townspeople might not recognize it, Abuela Madrigal certainly has an air of superiority towards those in the village. We're not saying that it's totally intentional, but rather something that developed over time. I mean, she has a lot of power and and power has a way of going to people's heads, right? Yeah, absolutely. We can see that she's proud of her family's role as what we might consider, you know, the saviors and heroes of the town. But she's also a sort of gatekeeper who, you know of who is good enough to marry into the family, right? As we see with Isabella and Mariano. Can I go off on a tangent that I don't know if it's time for, but you mentioned his name. So I don't get why the family's like groveling for Isabel to marry. What is his name? Mariano? Yeah. Like there, Isabel is basically like the princess. Like why wouldn't he be like so excited to marry her? Like what is this dinner about? It should be like, hey, we're getting married Tuesday. You good? Absolutely, I'm good. You're the princess of this town. You're gorgeous. Your grandma's in charge. And like, you can make flowers all over the place. Like, of course I'll marry you. <laughs> like, why are why is their family begging and like setting up dinners? Like, it doesn't make sense to me. I don't think they were begging. I think it was more just a formality of saying like, look, we want to make this official. We want to mm-hmm. make sure the family's all on the up and up with this. So we're going to do this in front of everybody. Okay. That that would be my perspective, but I don't know. I don't know. That's a good point. He was the one that was like, just wanted to marry into the family. Yeah, I think. he wanted five babies, and he was like, "All right, let's do it." And she's like, "Pop, pop, pop!" with the flowers in her hair. <laughs> and you notice the flowers. One of they were like a bunch of pink flowers, and then, and then there was, there was like one, one blue. Yeah, uh, yeah, blue or white or mm-hmm. whatever it was. And immediately, Abuela plucked the one that didn't match the perfect pink flowers. Oh. Right? You have seen this 75 times. (laughs) I definitely have. (laughs) So even if they seem to enjoy the situation, the townspeople in this movie, they rely on Alma's ability to control the magic. Mm -hmm. And and they benefit from it. But beyond the townspeople, we want to talk about her family. So her children... And, and their relationships with her. So we'll start with Julieta. Um, she is actually the oldest of the three. The co-writer and director, Jared Bush, confirmed that she is the oldest. And that's not surprising when you think about her gift being such a nurturing, a, a nurturing yeah. caregiver role, right? Uh, Julieta embodies many characteristics often associated with the oldest child, right? Like we said, caregiver and nurturer. Julieta seems to follow the rules of the family, but at the same time, she's the one who's willing to push back against Alma when she's harsh with Mirabel. She doesn't necessarily like to ruffle feathers, but like at the same time, she's far from being a pushover. We see this most strongly when she confronts Alma on the night of Antonio's gift ceremony, reminding her that the night would be hard on Mirabel because of what happened during her ceremony, not getting a gift, mm-hmm. and that Abuela ought to go easy on her. 
And it comes up again after Isabella's failed engagement dinner when Alma blames Mirabel for everything that went wrong. Which, like, how? Listen. How? We'll get to it. Mm-hmm. We'll get to it. Remember, she is our she's our big reputation. We mm. want to redeem her by the mm. end of this. But it's hard, right? I because know. Because you're watching it and you're very frustrated yes. with her. You know, but Julieta stands up for her daughter and calls her mother out for being so harsh with Mirabel. So let's talk about Peppa. She's the middle we child. We don't talk about Peppa. But we Peppa. do. Oh, yeah, we do. <laughs> <laughs> so she's the middle child of the three, and she absolutely embodies the dramatic qualities usually associated with middle children. The fact that her gift is to control the weather through her emotions is likely what causes her to double down on her efforts to control her emotions. Yeah. Perhaps sometimes she controls them a little bit too much. Does she feel constrained or stressed by the demands of her family, her mother in particular, to feel a certain way on a certain day so that the weather would be appropriate? That would not surprise me. Like, I know it's a kid's film and we can't really overthink it, but that's what we're here to do. Yeah. But the town is like, Kind of perfect, but you know that Peppa is just getting constant messages about, like, it being too cold or being too hot or, like, the crops need water to drink. So, like, can you think of something really sad so it can rain for a couple of days? Like, there's no way this woman is just able to, like, relax. Oh, exactly. Her emotions are very controlled, and Mm -hmm. we definitely see that from, like, coming down from Abuela. Yeah. But she seems to have a bit of a rocky relationship with her mother, right? So Alma's constantly getting at her, like, for her clouds and how her emotions impact the weather. Unlike Julieta, Peppa is more spirited and will often snap back at her mother. Alma's able to get under Peppa's skin pretty easily, but we can see that overall there is a loving relationship between the two women. Even at times, it's a bit tense. So now we're going to do what you're not supposed to do. What's that? Talk about Bruno. (gasps) Bruno is the youngest of the triplets, and his gift is seeing visions of the future, I guess. Or, like, it kind of reminds me of, like, That's So Raven, where, like, they're kind of visions of the future, but they might not be fully flushed out. I've never seen that show. Oh, okay. Well, throwback for all the, like, 90s kids. Why have you seen that show? Because I have younger siblings. Oh, okay. Fair. Anyway. (laughs) At the start of the film, he's been gone for 10 years, and according to Julieta, he lost his way in the family. We later learn that this happened after he has a vision about Mirabel and the family home. He worries about what he saw and he feels he no longer will be accepted by his mother and the other members of the Madrigal family, so he leaves. Kinda. In an interview, John Leguizamo, the voice actor for Bruno, explains, Well, Bruno is that relative that always says the wrong thing at every party, who wrecks every holiday because they're so used to talking too much. And so that's who I am. I am Bruno. I'm the uncle that they try to get rid of. And they do get rid of him in this movie. And I relate to him because I had a bit of an issue. I was always talking too much, saying everything that nobody wanted to, was afraid to say. I was the black sheep of the family, so I relate to Bruno. Now, Ashley once got mad at me because I, like, assigned everyone in our family to a Madrigal family member. (laughs) She's like... Just unprovoked. Yes. I was like, you are this one and you are this one. I'm like, okay... Brooke is Julieta, Jill is Peppa, uh, <laughs> Carrie is, uh, Carrie was Camilo, and Ashley, who did I make Ashley? Maybe I made Ashley Julieta, and Brooke, I made Brooke Louisa. Why did anyway. she get mad? She's like, not everything is a one-for-one, Becky. <laughs> I was like, that's 
You know, Ashley, I agree. But I will say, like, especially after that quote by Legusamo about Bruno, mm. I double down on me being the Bruno of my family. Yeah. Like, I feel it. I feel it. I do. You know, my family loves me, but, like, sometimes I feel like the black sheep. That's all right. You do say whatever is on your mind. And sometimes I say, you know, as as he says, I, I talk too much saying everything nobody wanted to or was <laughs> afraid to say. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, Bruno's gift is said to have made him kind of paranoid and fearful of his surroundings, but perhaps it was the pressure that he felt to share, you know, only good things when that wasn't what his vision showed. Dolores puts it best in her segment about We Don't Talk About Bruno, stating, I'm going to try and do this without singing because you know you don't want to hear me sing, but it's a heavy lift with a gift so humbling, always left Abuela and the family fumbling, grappling with prophecies they couldn't understand. Ch, 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 do you understand? Okay, I had to do it. <laughs> So while Bruno has been hiding for a decade, we can see that he still cares about his family. He helps Mirabelle when she falls, seems to take his meals with a family on the other side of the wall. That's when I cried. Yes. Yes. Um, and even later, he defends Mirabelle from Abuela's judgments after the house falls. Bruno's relationship with his mother is complicated. As yeah. the only son and the baby, it would not be surprising if he received preferential treatment growing up. Yeah. If there's one thing I've learned from my Latinx students, it it's not uncommon that the sons get preferential treatment over the daughters. Mm -hmm. And given the gifts that each triplet has and how the gifts seem to say something about their character, it really does seem to fit. We see that as Bruno gets older, he doesn't really fit the mold he's supposed to. Mm -hmm. And his relationship with his family and his mother in particular, really, becomes strained. Whether it was from fear or something else, he does seem to have been ostracized by those around him. But we do have to wonder about Alma's request for Bruno's vision about Maribel and the magic. We did think that she knew he disliked having visions because of how much grief it brought him when they weren't positive. Yeah. The vision of Maribel was the straw that broke the camel's back. This was the one prediction that he could not bring himself to share with his family. He was afraid that he would be blamed for what he saw. Perhaps he was afraid of Alma's reaction. The burden of carrying around bad news must have been a lot to deal with, enough to drive him away. This wouldn't be surprising, really, since later in the film, after Mirabel discovers Bruno hiding in the walls, and he comes out to help her, he decides to go back into hiding. Yeah. He doesn't want to see his mother. He's afraid to tell them about the uncertain vision that he had, like the whole family, but especially mm -hmm. her. By the end of the film, however, we do see him confront Alma to defend Mirabel. He declares he doesn't care what his mother thinks about him or how she wants to judge him, but that Mirabel is not at fault here. And oh, that scene breaks my heart. Yeah, whether it's because all the years have softened her or just because she's learned to look at things differently. I mean, why not both? Right. <laughs> she throws her arms around him in a really warm embrace. Clearly, they still have some things to deal with, but it does seem like the communication lines are opening up. So let's get into the grandchildren. Yeah. Let's talk about Isabella. Your boyfriend is here. <laughs> so Isabella is the firstborn grandchild. Uh, seemingly, she's Abuela's favorite. Her gift is creating beautiful plants and flowers. She feels pressure to be perfect, but in reality masks many insecurities and feels an enormous pressure to meet the expectations of others. 
Her relationship with Abuela is somewhat one-sided. Alma is the one who seems to have expectations of perfection. We never get that expectation from her parents, uh, Julieta and Augustine. As a result, Isabel hides her true feelings and even agrees to marry Mariano, whom she doesn't love, because Abuela believes that the fa- it would be good for the family. Oof. Yeah. that is, And you see that a lot in, like, uh, Latin American literature in particular, like mm-hmm. the, the oldest child's responsibility to like marry and uh, like hamilton too i know that's not like latin american culture but when lin-manuel miranda does it, it yes. is <laughs> in the scene after isabella expands her abilities by creating unusual flowers and plants we see her confidence change to fear and shame in front of abuela she recognizes that she'll never be perfect not the way that abuela wants her to she's hurt but unwilling to confront her grandmother. I think challenging her in that moment would have only made her less perfect. So, of course, she keeps quiet. Right. Yeah, it's it's heartbreaking, though, to watch mm-hmm. it. Louisa, one of my favorites, and whose song always makes you cry. I For the 75 times I've watched that song, that, that movie, I've cried every time in yeah. that song. Like, I will sob during that song. It just, oh. During the pressure song? Yes. Oh, so much. But Louisa's, she's a pretty good-natured character. You know, we, we kind of get that impression throughout. Uh, she's got superhuman strength, but underneath it, she feels the pressure from Abuela to always be ready to help. Mm-hmm. I actually thought she was the oldest child the first time I watched this because of that. But. I think we talked about that on the podcast, and we were like, yeah, she's got, like, oldest child tendencies for sure. Yeah. But I think, you know, because Isabella was meant to be like a perfect princess sort of character, mm-hmm. it fell on to the next grandchild, which was Louisa. Or actually, I think technically the next grandchild is Dolores, but the next grandchild from her oldest daughter. Mm-hmm. And Louisa also deals with an anxiety that she would have no purpose if she wasn't useful to others. Like if she couldn't do things for them, then what's her point of existing? It's like sort of an existential crisis for her. She's so worried about this, but when she tries to lift something and it feels heavy, she actually breaks down. She even momentarily appears vulnerable in front of Abuela as she sobs about losing her gift. And, like, to be able to admit that in front of Abuela, you Mm -hmm. know she had to be at a low point. In the confrontation scene between Mirabel and Abuela in the final act of the film, we can see Luisa feel sad for how her sister's being treated, but just like Isabella, she does not have the confidence to stand up to the matriarch of the family. So we're going to talk about Dolores. We don't really see that much between uh, Dolores and Abuela in the film, but this could theoretically have been something to do with Dolores's gift. Dolores knows everyone's secrets. After the casita comes crashing down, Dolores is seen comforting her grandmother and treating her gently. It is likely that she understands better than anyone what Alma's feeling. Yeah. And I have to hope that like Dolores's room allows her to shut out hearing everybody else. Yeah. Because otherwise you'd go mad. <laughs> there is an episode of Buffy called Earshot where she goes crazy because she can hear everyone's thoughts. Oof. Yeah. Didn't they wasn't that a movie with Jack Nicholson? I don't know. What women want or something? I think oh, that's yeah. what it was called. Yeah. No, not Jack Nicholson. Mel Gibson. No. Yeah. Yeah? Yeah. Ugh. Okay, I changed my mind. I'd rather have it be with Jack Nicholson. There's a remake with Taraji P. Henson, like, What Men Want, which sounds disgusting. <laughs> like, I would never want to hear men's thoughts all day. I've never seen it because I was just like, Ugh, no thanks. But watch either one. Let us know how they are. I haven't seen either <laughs> one of them. 
Then we have Camilo. Camilo seems to face less pressure from his grandmother than his sister and his cousins. And I'm going to go back to what my students have told me about male members of their family and how they're mm-hmm. treating differently, especially by mothers and grandmothers. The core interaction that we see between Camilo and Abuela is when she tells him that we need another Jose during the preparations for Antonio's ceremony. He's like, Jose? <laughs> That's his <laughs> response. But like, this shows that his big moment with her is him being useful as someone else, not even as himself. Mm-hmm. That's, oof, that's heavy. So his little brother, Antonio, is the baby of the family. He's pretty shy, quiet, and reserved. His big interaction with Abuela is when he tells the animals to warm her seat. Just like really cute. <laughs> it's so cute. Um, she thanks him, but she looks a little bit concerned by it. <laughs> yeah, like, okay, yep, these, <laughs> like, critters were sitting in my seat. Lovely. <laughs> Finally, we we save Mirabel for last. Now, she is approximately the same age as Camilo, I think just a couple months younger than him. From what the tweets from Jared Bush said that Camilo and Mirabel were both 15 years old, but um, she was a little bit younger. She is the only member of the Madrigal family who did not receive an official gift. But again, like I mentioned at the beginning, I argue that she's the next matriarch of the family, considering she's the one who brought the magic back when the house was rebuilt. I mean, Abuela doesn't technically have a gift either. Mm -hmm. She's just the keeper of the magic. And I think that's going to be Mirabel's role after Abuela is gone. And and we see that in that last moment when she takes the doorknob and the magic comes back to Casita. Mm Now, the fact that Mirabel did not receive a gift was shocking to her whole family, but especially to Abuela, who was concerned about the magic and the miracle and if something was wrong with it. As a result of this, Mirabel feels looked down upon by Abuela, and she really struggles to find her place in the family. Mirabel has respect for Abuela, but she's unhappy with their relationship. She feels ostracized and excluded by Abuela for not having a gift. This leads to a lot of tension between the two. The tension reaches to a boiling point when Mirabel finally stands up to Abuela declaring that she knows that she's a disappointment and that she'll never be good enough or perfect enough for her. She even declares that Alma was the reason that the magic was dying. This conversation is the breaking point for the casita and the house crumbles at this moment. But that's huge. Like standing up to the matriarch of the family, like that's that's a big deal. After the house collapses, Mirabel runs away. And when Abuela finds her, they finally have an open and honest conversation. Mirabel learns the truth. Abuela admits that she made mistakes and lost sight of the purpose of the miracle. The two reconcile and return home along with Bruno, right? Who mm-hmm. has come to defend Mirabel from Alma. I love that. Like, it's like, it wasn't her, it was me. <laughs> and she's like, I don't care. Just come home. I'm glad <laughs> to see you again. Let's talk about audience perceptions on Abuela because mm-hmm. I, I read a lot of mixed reviews on her. Mm-hmm. It, well, many viewers can agree that Abuela is more of an antagonist than a straight-up villain. There's a handful who are not willing to forgive her actions so easily. And, like, I get it. That's totally understandable, especially if her character is triggering for you in any way. 
When Abuela gaslights Maribel during Antonio's celebration, Abuela knows something's wrong with the house, but acts like it's all in Maribel's head. Audiences realize that Abuela's overbearing presence makes Maribel feel less than. And for some audiences, this is unforgivable. Yeah, I get that. Abuela appears to be forcing perfection on her whole family. She doesn't want the village to see her, her family, or their magic as weakening. So she's often seen going to extremes to maintain the image of perfection. The majority, if not all, of her anger and frustration seem to be taken out on Mirabel because of her lack of powers. While Peppa sometimes receives a light dose of Alma's ire, Mirabel is the one most frequently blamed for things going wrong. Abuela insists that Mirabel can't help with the preparations for Antonio's celebration, not the same way her family members can, and she's seen dismissing Mirabel's homemade decorations for the ceremony, by suggesting that Mirabel leave the decorating to someone else. Boo. Yeah. And they were such cute little doily things. They were the really candle. cute. Aww. Like, let her have a thing. Like, exactly. she doesn't even have a picture on the wall with Abuela. No, because she didn't get a door like all the other family members in the ceremony. So there was no picture taken. It seems really hurtful. Like, yeah. imagine your whole family puts up, like, graduation photos every year. But you're the one person who didn't graduate from college or high school. So you don't get a picture at all. Nothing. Just not even a candid shot. Just, like, nothing. Yeah. Like, yeah, it, that's <laughs> – it's funny because my family has uh, high school graduation photos of everyone mm – -hmm. Um, and they've got like your senior picture. Yeah. They have, all of my sisters have a senior picture. No one liked my senior pictures, including me. <laughs> I didn't like mine either. And so they like, didn't even buy them. Oh no. So <laughs> the senior pictures that I have is my college senior picture when okay. everyone else has their high school picture. So it's did, like a little awkward, but it's there at least. Did you also, I think this is universal high school senior pictures, that little, like it's like a tube top or like a, a thing on your shoulders. I don't know what you're talking about. So it about. was like you were wearing like this black shirt that just came to your shoulders. No, they let us wear whatever we wanted. Oh, my school, they made us wear like this little, I don't even know what you would call it. Cause it was like a, it was as if you put uh, like a vest on backwards and then it like snugged onto your arms. So it looked like, like your shoulders were out. <laughs> what Catholic nonsense is this? Well, see, I had to go take mine again because they, they did it too low. So for some people, it looked like they were just topless in the photos because they were too low. <laughs> mine, I wanted to put it up higher because I have like stretch marks on my shoulder. And like now I don't care. But like in high school, I was like, you can't see that. So like I went to the place and I was like, we need to do this again. So they did it again. And then I was able to like update the one that I put in the yearbook. I will share a picture on the Instagram. I will give you my senior high school picture too. Because I feel like other people had this. It, I don't know what it was called at all. But it was like this velvety like black thing that like... You have to like tuck your bra straps down and it looks like what in the Catholic nonsense is this? I don't know this? what it's called. I don't know what it's called, but I feel like other people have this. Pause. Pause. Do we have to find this now? No, I guess we don't. But like, I would really love to know what it's called. Okay. Well, we'll figure it out before we post. I also want to see someone else in it. So I, I, unless it was just my school. Yes, if you took your high school graduation picture with some black vest that you wore backwards. It was, that's the best <laughs> way that I can explain it. But it was like, it was supposed to look like a, 
I don't know what you would call it. Like what the only thing I can think of is the top of Belle's dress in Beauty and the Beast where it's yellow and it's got shoulder things. So it goes all the way across. I have it's no, off the shoulder. No idea what you're talking about. None. I, so <laughs> no I have no clue what it's called, but I can't believe you've never even seen what no, I'm talking about. Am no. I, did, was my school the only one that did it? I don't know. It was terrible. I'm telling you. It was terrible. Like nonsense. <laughs> there was definitely people who looked like they were topless because like it came down too low. But mine I put super high because I was like, what am I wearing? Like, why am I half naked? This is weird. You had to like take off your shirt. You're right. This is weird Catholic nonsense <laughs> because you had to like take your shirt off to put this thing on. And then you stood like on a, a stage in the gym to take your picture with like people lined up. All right. And you had to like take your shirt off. It's very weird. I'm I'm gonna go back to Abuela because this is <laughs> I'm sorry. I took us off on such a tangent. I don't even know what we were talking about. <laughs> well, I'm gonna talk about how Abuela played favorites. Mm-hmm. I mean, Isabel and Dolores were the same age. Yeah. But Isabella was, and literally they see this in the movie, the perfect golden child, right? That's Mirabel's line in a song. Mm-hmm. Julieta also seems to be favored over her sister, and certainly over Bruno, at least at this point in the story. Maybe it's because they're both so agreeable and they bend to Alma's every request, or maybe it's because their gifts are more useful to the community. I don't know. See, I think you're right, because... There's not really a way for Julieta or Isabella's gifts to backfire in the community, right? Like, it's not going to make the town think twice about them because, like, oh, you gave me a cookie that was too delicious and also, like, cured my asthma. Like, they're not going to get mad about that. Or, oh, (laughs) thanks for this bouquet of flowers that now is, like, a flower wall. But, like, if Dolores overhears something that she's not supposed to hear, then people are going to be like, oh, she knows too much. She's not to be trusted. Or, like, now I feel like my secrets have gotten out. Or if, like, Peppa causes a monsoon... It's going to be bad. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, like, those things would be a problem. Yeah. But who knows, right? Like, it can be hard to watch Abuela favor certain family members over others. And for many viewers, honestly, this is unforgivable. Like, that idea of such preferential treatment. Mm-hmm. So people would argue that the resolution to the film was a little bit rushed or seemed too quick. But, like, I'm people. People are me. I think it happened too quickly. (laughs) Abuela changed her character so quickly and, excuse the pun, magically was a better person. Almost like a miracle. Okay, I'm done now. (laughs) All right. Now, I I actually tend to disagree with this because we're just seeing the moment. And when I watch this, I'm not expecting that Abuela is just better. Mm -hmm. Just that she's recognized her need to get better. Yeah. You know, like, I don't think this is a cure-all. I just think it's a step. Mm-hmm. And uh, But we'll, we'll save that for the last section and, and get into it more there. I've actually seen people, um, some people anyway, consider Abuela Madrigal a narcissistic parental figure who only sees her children and grandchildren as assets rather than individuals. I mean... I could kind of see it. Right? Yeah. Yeah. But even if it's true, it doesn't mean she can't improve. Just that it might not be such a quick turnaround. Like, she's not just, again, she's not just magically different person. Mm-hmm. But also, it's a Disney movie, people. Like, relax. Yeah. Like, you're not going to solve all of life's problems in 90 minutes. Like, <laughs> it's just not going to happen. But others do see Alma as a hypocrite. 
Hi, I'm others. Um, she so this is basically me defending Abuela in this episode. I guess. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I I get it. But also I reserve to be like a little bit mad at her for a little bit longer mm-hmm. because I think that she was really mean to her whole family. Like she was the problem. She doesn't have a gift either, technically speaking. Like she's the keeper of the miracle. Yes. But she doesn't heal people or affect the weather or have plants or talk to animal life or any strength or even a sense of humor. Um, so judging Maribel <laughs> for a lack of gift is like really hypocritical. Like you think that you would have a stronger relationship because neither one of them have gifts. Right. Yeah, absolutely. You know, but obviously Abuela is more afraid of the miracle dying than she is of recognizing that Mirabel and she are so similar. But at the end of the film, Abuela does apologize to Mirabel. She even opens up and tells her details of her early life that she has honestly likely not even shared with her own children. Because I think she said, like, she's never gone back to that spot. Mm -hmm. So it's unlikely that she has ever talked about Pedro in that way. Mirabel, Abuela, they return home and Alma apologizes to her children as well. So with this newfound forgiveness, the family begins to rebuild. Again, not magically fixed, just beginning to rebuild. But you can kind of see how this would be frustrating for many viewers who understand that in the real world, uh, one big realization and a, I'm sorry, doesn't fix years of actions. Oh, totally. Absolutely. But whether we think that Alma Abuela Madrigal is a villain or not, we think it's worth digging a little bit deeper into what caused her to become the woman that we see in this film. So the truth, let's go beyond the big reputation. Let's dig below the surface. I want to start out with the big bad of the movie, at least as I see it. Mm -hmm. Generational trauma. Simply stated, it's trauma that isn't just experienced by one person, but is extended from one generation to the next. Anyone can be susceptible to generational trauma, but certain populations are more vulnerable than others. Groups that have been systemically exploited or endured repeated and or continual abuse, racism, and or poverty are among them. And these traumas can be enough to cause genetic changes, like real physical changes. Mm -hmm. Symptoms of generational trauma vary, of course, but might include hyper-alertness, mistrust, aloofness, high anxiety, depression, panic attacts, nightmares, insomnia, an easily triggered fight or flight or freeze response, and issues with self-esteem and or self-confidence. That's a lot. That is a lot. I'm like, hey, is it me? It me. It me. (laughs) It me. But like, I definitely feel like there's some generational trauma just from like being black in America. Being black in America. Absolutely hyper alert. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that might just be a New Yorker thing too. I don't don't think it is. I really don't. I think it comes from a generational trauma and Mm -hmm. a generational alertness that Black people who, whether they were enslaved, whether they were in the Jim Crow era, yeah, whether they're in just, the... Was it like in the 60s? Yeah. <laughs> it It is all still very relevant. Mm-hmm. So generational and intergenerational trauma might also be masked under learned behaviors, patterns, or beliefs that become ingrained in individuals. This trauma basically rewires the brain in such a way that it impacts personalities, it impacts relationships, it impacts approaches to parenting, communication techniques and abilities, and even general worldviews. 
unsurprisingly, we see many of these symptoms, behaviors, and patterns and beliefs in the magical family members. We mentioned at the beginning of the episode some of the trauma that Alma faced early in her life, but let's recap. So right after her children are born, she's forced to leave her home and flee for safety. Her country is facing a brutal civil war. Her husband was brutally murdered in front of her, leaving her alone with three infants and numerous other people from her village that she ended up leading after receiving the miracle. So she had no time to grieve as she was expected to guide those around her to safety. They were counting on her. After all, the magic had come to her, not them. Mm -hmm. And then suddenly she found herself isolated from the world, raising three children on her own and never being able to return to her home village. So this trauma was foundational in who she became. It plays a huge role in her rigidity with her family members and her determination to preserve the miracle at any cost. This is most obviously seen in Bruno's leaving and in Mirabel's running away after the house collapses. Both of them thought they had failed her and they didn't want to hurt anyone anymore. So they thought, instead of hurting people, my only option is leave. Not only was Alma the matriarch of the Madrigal family, she was also the leader of a refugee community. Similar to what she projected onto the members of her family, she expected herself to be perfect or infallible. She could not appear to be weak in front of others, even or especially in front of her own family members. Yeah, I mean, she felt that she had a role to play, as mm -hmm. did each member of her family. And the fact that there are no overlaps in the gifts that they have or that each one fits into a little box of something the community needed just further emphasizes this. Mm -hmm. Alma thought that she was doing the right thing. She thought she was protecting her family, but she didn't recognize that by holding on to so much control, she was potentially doing more harm than good. Well, there's no excuse for the hurt that she caused her children and grandchildren. I mean, all of them, but especially Bruno and Mirabel. Mm -hmm. We have to understand that she's coming from a place of trauma. What is that quote? Like, hurt people, hurt people? Mm-hmm. I got it. I mean, although at the end, Alma admits her faults, this does not absolve her from them. But instead, it shows a willingness to grow and possibly move forward. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, let's reiterate one more time. Abuela Madrigal is more of an antagonist than a villain. A villain is someone with evil intent. They want to put the protagonist in harm's way. There's intentionality behind their actions. This was not Abuela. She did not wish harm on her family. She wanted to protect them. Did she hurt them? Yeah, absolutely. But it wasn't her mission to do so. She definitely lacks that evil intent. Yeah, an antagonist, however, is someone who works in contrast to the protagonist. In this case, it's Mirabel. The antagonist offers contrasting perspectives to that of the protagonist and opposes the protagonist. This could be intentional, but it doesn't have to be. But it's a Disney film and we need a villain. So, okay, fine. Let's say that the villain here is generational trauma. Yeah. Each member of the family is a product of the circumstances around them. And many of the circumstances could be tied back to the trauma faced before they were even born. So to vanquish the villain, they need to process their trauma. They need to learn to forgive themselves, especially Abuela, but honestly, all of them who feel that they've not lived up to the standards, imaginary or real, that have been set for them. And they need to be ready to learn, forgive one another, and move forward. So we, we see her begin to explore this at the end of the film. After the house collapses, Abuela opens up to Mirabel uh, and explains the trauma of what she's gone through when Abuelo Pedro was killed. Mm -hmm. She also apologizes for allowing her fears to control her and to cause her to harm her family and destroy the miracle. 
She admits the role that she played in the downfall of Casita. She explains, I thought I would be a different woman. I take this to mean that she never intended to hurt anyone. Uh, She didn't really want to pressure anyone into anything, but she understands that she did anyway. So is everything better? Is she cured of her generational trauma? I mean, hell no. Not by a long shot. But this moment does show her willingness to acknowledge her role and to be open to learning and changing. I think that the rebuilding of the house is like a great metaphor for like repairing the generational trauma. Like you have to knock down the whole house and together build a stronger foundation. And it only works if the whole family is like putting the pieces back together. I love that. Yeah. You know, trauma can cause fear. And Alma, Abuela Madrigal, was certainly afraid. Like she was afraid to lose anyone else the way she'd lost her husband. She was afraid she'd appear weak or that her family would no longer be seen as useful to the community. But what linked all of those fears was the fear of losing the miracle. It's hard to forgive her for gaslighting Mirabel in the early parts of the films. When her granddaughter comes running to her, saying that something's wrong and there are cracks in the house, but again, it comes back to fear. Likely, she thought that if she denied that there was an issue, she wouldn't have to confront that issue, or that if she hid the problem, no one else in the family would have to worry about it. She'll be able to fix it herself. Mm-hmm. We all know someone like that who thinks they mm-hmm. could take on all the problems of the family and make it better. Now, this fear is clearly connected to the trauma that we just discussed, but it's also likely one of the biggest reasons behind the choices that Abuela makes. She believes she and her family had to be worthy of the miracle, and she even says so in the Family Madrigal song at the beginning of the film. Her lines are, we swear to always help those around us and earn the miracle that somehow found us. The town keeps growing, the world keeps turning, but work and dedication will keep the miracle burning. And each new generation must keep the miracle burning. Acknowledging that the miracle might be fading could suggest that the family is no longer worthy. And she's really not ready to confront that. Yeah. Losing the miracle would mean losing everything that they had, everything that they built together as a family and as a community. And after having lost her husband, her home, her children, her grandchildren, and her community are all that she has. She knows no other life at this point. And the last bit we want to touch on in this section um, connects further with generational trauma and fear as well. Abuela is concerned about aging, about death, and about the future of her family and the community. I personally believe this is why the miracle was fading, right? Her worries affected the candle. The dimming of the candle was symbolic of Abuela's life, or at least her role as a matriarch, and this idea of it coming to an end. This is also a strong determinant in the relationship with Maribel. Remember, Maribel did not receive a gift, and neither did Alma. We can argue that Abuela's gift was holding the miracle and keeping it going, but then we also have to acknowledge that Maribel still was still very connected with the casita, And the magic it held. Now, maybe Abuela recognizes that Mirabella is the next matriarch, and she's not quite ready to admit that her own time is coming to a close. Ooh, maybe it's like Slayers, like in Buffy. Into every generation, a Slayer is born. One girl in all the world, a chosen one. She will wield the power to hold on to the miracle. Everything comes back to Buffy. Everything. It's very heavy Buffy today. (laughs) But yeah, I definitely see a parallel there. Now, of course, Abuela did not handle all of this in the best way. There's no question there, like none at all. Her inability to communicate with her family and to let them into her trauma stunted all of them. 
Had Abuela been open and honest about her experiences earlier on, her children, and even her grandchildren, would have been able to help her process her experiences and better understand where she was coming from when she behaved the way she did. All right. So final thoughts, takeaways. What do you got for us? Um, I guess I take away that like everyone's vulnerable. Like being perfect is overrated and stupid. Um, <laughs> I think the best thing we can do is to be ourselves. I think that if you ignore problems for too long, the cracks will start to show. And when you acknowledge that you're vulnerable, like that's when like your real strength is revealed. Mm. I don't think a real family can rebuild after generational trauma that quickly, but like brick by brick, you can start healing. Yeah, absolutely. And that goes back to what I was saying, where it's like, I don't think that the problems are all solved in that moment, but it's a Disney film. Mm -hmm. You know, you got to end on an upswing. Yeah. For me, it's communication is key. If Abuela had only shared her story with her children and and eventually her grandchildren Mm -hmm. too, then they could have had a better understanding of why she behaves the way she does and of the choices she makes. Like, we need to hear from our elders, our parents and grandparents. If they share their stories, we can better empathize with them. And and they should start early, right? Mm-hmm. Like, be age appropriate. I get that, right? The difference between the story you tell Mirabella at five and what you tell her at 15, yeah. absolutely. But the earlier the communication starts, the better we can all understand one another and the actions that we take. Mm-hmm. All right, so let's share a couple of resources and references that we used in our research that you might find helpful if you want to know more. Mm. So there were a few. Um, One of them was Encanto Movie, Cast, and Crew on the new Disney film by Jenna Bush. Why Therapists Are Talking About Bruno and All the Other Encanto Characters by Catherine E. Schoichet. Unpopular Opinion, Abuela Alma Madrigal from Encanto is not a villain by Meryl Medell. Encanto, 10 unpopular opinions about Abuela, according to Reddit. Gotta love Reddit. Hmm. But it is kind of fun to go there and see like the different perspectives Mm -hmm. for sure. Uh, That was written by Angel Shaw. What is generational trauma? Here's how experts explain it by Claire Gillespie. And how turning red as we mentioned at the beginning of the film, Mm -hmm. how turning red and Encanto approach toxic perfectionism. And that's by Rachel Johnson. So what did you think? Share your thoughts with us. What other Disney characters or fictional characters in general should we cover? Follow the podcast on Twitter at Big Rep Pod and Instagram and TikTok at Big Reputations Pod. Send us a message or email us at BigReputationsPod at gmail.com. We'd love to include your thoughts in a future episode. And subscribe to us on Spotify, Stitcher, or Apple Podcasts, or wherever else you get your podcasts. Share us with your friends, your family, your black sheep, and other outcasts especially. Subscribe and leave a five-star review. Don't forget we have merch. You can check out the Redbubble link in our show notes if you are interested in picking up a sticker or a shirt, a mug, or something even wilder like a shower curtain or a comforter. Do they have comforters? They do. Okay. You get a comforter of our face (laughs) on your bed. Do it. We will send you something if you do that. (laughs) I don't know what we'll send you. Like what? (laughs) Googly eyes (laughs) to put on the comforter because there's no eyes or mouths. It's kind of weird if you look at it. I love it. I love our logo. I love our logo, but it's just funny that there's no mouths because we talk a lot. (laughs) All right, well, let's stop talking for tonight. Send us off with a quote. 
So my quote's from Mirabelle. Um, Even in our darkest moments, there is a light where you least expect it. Ooh. Good one. And as always, believe women. <laughs>